I'm Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner. And I'm Seattle Times City Hall reporter Dan Beekman. Let's talk politics. Welcome to episode 88 of The Overcast, the Seattle Times weekly politics and news podcast. This week, we're going to talk about Tuesday's primary election in Washington state. And let's uh, start right at the top of the ticket, Jim, with the Senate race uh, here in our state. Yeah, in uh, our Senate race, we've got Democratic incumbent Maria Cantwell seeking re-election. And she faced quite a, quite a crowded primary ballot. There were 29 candidates in total. Right, 28 the challengers, the most she had ever faced in a primary. Yeah, and I had I calculated actually they you don't get on the ballot in Washington state for free. You got to pay in the case of federal races $1,740. So all of these people felt strongly enough to open their checkbooks with the exception of the Freedom Socialist candidate Steve Hoffman who got signatures instead which you can do. But actually that that the amount of money that all these candidates paid to the state was something close to $50,000. You could uh buy a new Chevy Silverado pickup for that amount. Yeah, you put that on Twitter. I saw you over there at your computer looking at, like, pickup trucks, and I was like, what's going on, Jim? Well, and I found the MSRP. It added up to exactly, for the Silverado, what, what all these people paid. They could have gotten together and, and bought a pickup truck, but they decided to participate in our democracy and put their names on the ballot. Most of them, of course, you got 29 candidates, and most of them didn't do very well. well. And the fact that you're talking about uh, a pickup truck rather than what happened in the race, does that tell us something about, I mean, Maria Cantwell uh, crushed uh, the field. Yeah, Maria Cantwell's at about 55, 55% of the vote as of today. They're still counting votes. Of course, we got this all-male system. Votes are trickling in. And as kind of expected, her November challenger is going to be Susan Hutchison, the former chair of the state Republican Party, who got in the race at the very last minute before the filing deadline, but, you know, used her connections, raised a decent amount of money. She's at about 24%, which starts her off in, you know, kind of a difficult position. And, and obviously, just look at Maria Cantwell's total. You know, there were 29 candidates and she took 55% of the vote. Yeah, and I was actually covering that race on election night. And one notable thing was that Hutchison was leading in only three counties statewide. None of those counties were big counties like Snohomish, Pierce, King, anything like that. So yeah, caveat there. I mean, there were 13 Republicans on the ballot. So people who were just looking and saying, well, I'm not going to vote for Maria Cantwell at the Democrat. They might have just ran randomly picked some of these people. Other Republicans, let's note a couple. Uh, there was a Seattle police captain named Keith Swank, who was running kind of as a super Trumpy uh, candidate, a big supporter of Donald Trump and building the wall. And, and things like that, he uh, was was way down. I mean, I have some of these less than three percent, yeah. I think, for him. And uh, you know, you had a another Republican who was a former, I think, nuclear a vessel captain, but he was way down too. And you had uh, a guy who was actually in the news quite a bit, Joey Gibson, who's the organizer of this right wing group, Patriot Prayer. He spent most of his time uh, causing you know, trouble in Portland and not necessarily campaigning. So right. much in he's Washington from Vancouver. State. He's from the Vancouver area, but he was, he was way down in he the was down like too. 2% as well, at least on election night. And, you know, yesterday we added up all the votes for all the Republican candidates and it was still, you know, far below what Cantwell pulled in on her own. Barring, barring a change, she's probably a pretty safe bet for, for re-election at this point. But we've got the campaign to go. Susan Hutchison is going to make a go of it. Yeah, and just interestingly enough, you know, uh, we had reporters at the GOP headquarters 
on the east side on election night talking to Susan Hutchison. And, you know, she was trying to link right away, link Maria Cantwell to ever-increasing taxes in Seattle. Uh, she was talking about how she would be the better representative or senator to talk with Donald Trump. I talked to Maria Cantwell on the phone on election night and asked her sort of about that. Are you going to, you know, try to tie Susan Hutchison to Donald Trump, uh, uh, who may be very unpopular with voters? And, you know, Hutchison supported Trump in in the presidential campaign. Is that what you're going to do? And she said, no, you know, I do hear from people in the doors that uh, they want uh, me to stand up to Donald Trump's administration. But no, I'm going to focus on issues like health care. Yeah, and Susan Hutchison, you know, did as state party chair stand, you know, with Donald Trump. I covered the 2016 Republican National Convention in Cleveland, and there was a big uh, headline grabbing moment where Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, who was kind of the last Republican standing besides Donald Trump, got up to give his convention speech, and he didn't, he notably did not endorse Donald Trump in that convention speech, and he said, vote your conscience. And he actually, I think, had to be escorted off the floor because the, uh, pro-Trump Republicans were really, really angry. And Susan Hutchison confronted him in the arena later and called him a traitor to the party and uh, just berated him. And of course, it got out. She said, yeah, I did do that. So, Right. When I asked Cantwell about it, she said something like, well, I think she's going to do that herself in terms of time. And Hutchison's argument against Cantwell basically coming out the gate, like you said, taxes. She's trying to link her to Seattle politics, which is something that Susan Hutchison has done throughout her tenure as state party chair, has tried to say, you know, the, all the Democrats are linked to Seattle politics. It has had, uh, you know, it hasn't been terribly successful, frankly, yeah. but I think she's going to keep doing that. And, and she's making an argument that Cantwell hasn't been particularly effective in the Senate. Right. OK, let's move on to uh, the congressional races. Uh, a couple of pretty interesting results. Yeah. I mean, the, the headline here and even in, in the paper today was that the Republicans are clearly on defense in the state. You've got Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers in the 5th District in Eastern Washington, who is facing you know, Democratic challenger Lisa Brown. And they were about neck and neck coming into, out of the primary. I think Kathy McMorris-Rogers was about 48%. And, and a lot of people didn't, quite, didn't see that coming. Not necessarily. I mean, we've known that's going to be a, a competitive race for quite a while with a lot of money in it. But I think Democrats were pretty happy with, 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 that, with that result coming out. And um, just really quickly, and maybe we can go into these in more detail, but the other two races that the Democrats are on offense on are in the 8th District, where Dave Reichert's retiring, the longtime Republican, former King County Sheriff. And there's a couple, Dino Rossi, the former state senator, three-time statewide candidates running there on the Republican side. And um, he's got a couple Democrats that we can talk about who are vying to, to, to go after him in the fall. And then the third congressional district in Southwest Washington, where G- Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, the Republican, is facing a pretty strong challenge, it looks like, from Democrat Carolyn Long. Okay, so let's take these one by one. What do you think is going on over there in Spokane? Well, um, Representative McMorris Rogers is the fourth ranking House Republican. She's the top you know, woman among House Republican leadership. She's been there for a while. She's st- strongly affiliated and associated with uh, Paul Ryan, the House Speaker. And Democrats over there are really energized in a way they haven't been in a long time. And that's partly because of, of uh, Donald Trump's election, of course, and Kathy McMorris Rogers' uh, affiliation with you know, both Trump and with the, the House Speaker. But also, they, they sort of feel like Lisa Brown is a good candidate. She's a former state senator, well-known, 
and she was involved with the medical school campus over there. And she, um, right, getting the the Wazoo, the Washington State University Medical School, yeah. to be located there. So what they're looking at is that district's been in Republican hands since 1994, when some people may remember the the big Republican wave that year. And and actually, Speaker of the House Tom Foley lost his seat to George Nethercutt. And Republicans have had that ever since. And I think this is the first time the Democrats really think they might have a shot, but it's a, still a very red district. Okay. And what, what's something to watch for in the campaign going forward over there? Well, it's already gotten really negative. Um, Kathy McMorris Rogers, and she has a lot of big money allies, um, have gone after Lisa Brown. They've, they've sent out mailers actually that basically have these uh, leering images of a, of a hooded man eyeing a small child in a park and they're and they're basically hearkening back to votes that lisa brown took in the state legislature and, and claiming that she was soft on sex offender oh supervision actually and lisa brown supporters say that that's an absolute misread and i've seen some media accounts that that's you know at least at least a vast exaggeration you know often those legislative votes can be really oversimplified but you know kathy mcmorris rogers clearly worried going straight straight for the jugular there. She's also going to try to paint Lisa Brown as a very liberal um, candidate who mm-hmm. is really kind of not too liberal, too for, liberal Spokane, for Spokane yeah. and certainly maybe too liberal for the outer right. parts of that district, which are, you know, really conservative. Right. Well, maybe you'll head over there sometime this fall. I plan to spend uh, quality time in Spokane and, and the outlying regions. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's go to the next one and dive a little deeper uh, in on that uh, former Dave Reichert seat. Yeah, so there we've got, you know, and I've written about it a few times in this context. You've got kind of this funny situation where the Republican candidate, Dino Rossi, is maybe one of the best-known Republican politicians in Washington state, but he hasn't won an election in 18 years. Last time he was actually, you know, re-elected to anything was to his state, state Senate seat back in 2000. A known loser. Well, you know, best known for races in which he was not successful. <laughs> right. I mean, so Dino, is, Dino Rossi's best known for... You know, he coming out, he was a state senator in 2004. He ran against, he became the Republican candidate for governor. He ran against then Attorney General Chris Gregoire, who I think didn't t- take him maybe seriously enough at the time because he had had some success in the legislature. He had been involved in writing the state budget. And he, on election night, and I remember this, he, he, I was out there at his headquarters when the race was called for him. You know, he won a very narrow race on election night. And then there, it was very tight, you know. And then, and then there was a recount. He right. won that too. Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin was involved. And Late, later on, there was a lawsuit. Second recount, the, the the vote was flipped, and Chris Gregor was declared the winner. There were, you know, irregularities in King County that had Republicans up in arms. There was a lawsuit, like you said, Jenny Durkin represented the Democrats in that lawsuit, and the Republicans made a lot of claims about voter fraud and things like that, but they didn't really prove them. And the uh, the race went against Rossi. But, but what you're saying is that even though you know, Rossi hasn't won a race in a long time. He's formidable. Uh, yeah, and he, he ran again candidate. four years later, but that was the Obama wave year. Couldn't beat Gregoire then. Then he ran most recently in 2010 for the U.S. Senate against Patty Murray. And that was the Tea Party wave year, but he couldn't couldn't quite get over the top there. But he is he is popular among Republicans. And what, what gives them hope in this district is now he's running in Reichert's district, trying to succeed Dave Reichert. And the 8th district runs from, you know, the kind of King County, Pierce County, across the mountains to um, Chelan and Kittitas counties. And uh, if you flip it on its side, it looks like a Scottish terrier. Somebody 
pointed out to me yeah, this I saw, week, I saw, and uh, I can't get it out of my head you, now. But you if put you take that a look, on Twitter, and uh, then I saw somebody said, "Oh, looks like uh, needs a nice scratch behind the King County." Right, and uh, so coming out of the primary anyway, Dino Rossi is. You know, he, he like I said, Republicans have hope now because he's even in those statewide losses, he won that district in the past. But it's been a long time. The uh, suburbs out there where a lot of the votes are have changed. And so it remains to be seen whether he can pull that off in November. But in, in the primary, he, he wound up with about, you know, as of today, less than 43 percent of the vote, which as a almost incumbent like figure for the Republicans isn't really I don't think where you want a be. good sign for him. And then there are these three sort of front-running Democratic candidates. And we didn't really know how it would shake out between them leading into the primary. Yeah, you had a pediatrician named Kim Schreier, this attorney and former deputy prosecutor, Jason Ritterizer, and uh, Shannon Hader, who was a former official at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hader was pretty much eliminated on election night. We're still counting votes, and Kim Schreier is leading Jason Ritterizer. And I, and I think she might wind up pulling it off, but they're still right now a little bit too close to call. Ritterizer tried to sort of put himself out there as the candidate among the Democrats, at least with Eastern Washington or Central Washington ties. Yeah, he grew up in Ellensburg and he emphasized those. He also had an ad that people may have seen where he he uh, went after Donald Trump after the Helsinki summit and he said, you know, here in Ellensburg, we call that treason. So he kind of hid his eastern Washington roots and tried to punch through the noise in the primary and say, I'm the most bold against Donald Trump, but he's in second place right but now, what, what or is, third place, actually. What does Schreier have going for her that may be putting her into the general election? Well, as Ritterizer would say, she outspent him and her allies, and, and she outspent him about three to one. She had a lot of support from Emily's list. She raised the most money. She's campaigning as um, sort of a more regular voter, who somebody who like a lot of women after Donald Trump got elected were were really alarmed, like a lot of Democrats were really alarmed and got more politically involved. She and the others, Democrats in the race, none of them have run for office for, but she got politically activated, met with Dave Reichert when they were considering that health care overhaul, urged him to vote against it. He then voted for it in the committee and that kind of set her off on the, the path to run against him. Later, of course, Reichert said he's retiring. Rossi jumped in. Here's where we are. This race is seen as a toss-up. Right. And, and it's going to be in our area. We will see a lot of these ads popping up before long. And her story is sort of of the zeitgeist or something. It's- yeah. And and Rossi and, and the Republicans are going to counter that she's part of this, what they would call the resistance movement, Democratic resistance movement. And they're saying, you know, that might play among the Seattle Democratic base, which is not part of the district, but it's really too, too out there for the vote, more moderate voters in the 8th district. And that's going to kind of be the the debate that you're going to see there. And meanwhile, of course, Schreier or Ritterizer, whoever it is, are, are going to make a lot about both Rossi's past elections and his views on social issues like abortion and gay marriage. And also, he went to the 2016 Republican National Convention as a delegate, and he supported Donald Trump. Right, so they'll tie him to the president. Okay, and then the the third really competitive and congressional race in Washington that people across the country are now watching uh, is is down in southwest Washington. Yeah, and the third congressional district mentioned Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, who's you know a f- actually got, I think got her start in politics working in, for Kathy McMorris Rogers, 
and has been in government for a long time, was elected to that district in 2010, I believe. And she is facing a pretty tough race, it looks like now. And, and this was a little bit, this was something that kind of popped on election night. I'd been kind of watching that race. And I think a lot of people had been watching the third, knowing that these other two contests were probably going to be competitive and, and wondering whether that would emerge. And it looks like, you know, it, it at least has that potential now. Some of the national political analysts have said, this looks like a competitive race now. And um, so Jamie Herrera Butler is being challenged by Carolyn Long, who has worked for, I think, 23 years as a political science professor at WSU Vancouver. She actually lived for most of that time on the Oregon side, the border there. And that's something that Herrera Butler and her people are making uh, making hay out of, of course. But what may be going on in that district that it's even closer than people might have expected? Well, you know, um, that district isn't as red as, say, the 5th District in, you know, where Kathy McMorris is out in, in eastern Washington. So in a way, it's not a surprise that this area where a lot of the population is clustered around in Clark County, you know, just across from Portland, which we know is a pretty liberal area. So in a way, it kind of makes sense that it would be competitive for Democrats, but they just haven't had a year like this where they can try to capitalize on momentum. That district was held previously uh, not that long ago by by a Democrat, a conservative Democrat or a moderate Democrat, Brian Baird, who actually clashed a lot with his own party because the base of the party and even the state Democratic Party chair, I, may, I remember at the time, really didn't like some of his views. But but he said, look, you got to be middle of the road to be a Democrat and, and win in this district. So nationally, Democrats are talking about a blue wave this year with the, with the election, the midterm election, with three previously Republican held congressional seats, possibly you know, in the mix for flipping in Washington state, how significant is Washington to that potential blue wave? Well, there's about two dozen seats in the house races that are, that are seen as kind of key to who's going to control the house next year. So these could all be in that mix. I don't think they Democrats have to win all of them, you know, necessarily to flip the house or conversely Republicans don't necessarily have to hold all of them Mm -hmm. to retain the house. But I, I will say what's interesting is if the, if the Democrats were able to flip these three seats, that would leave Republicans with one congressional representative in Washington state, and that's uh, Dan Newhouse in the 4th District in central Washington. He doesn't really have a what, you know, what, what appears to be a strong Democratic challenger this year, and that would be quite extraordinary. It, it, that hasn't happened since uh, 1992 when we had a big Democratic wave, and the only um, Republican con- congressperson left standing was uh, Representative Jen- Jennifer Dunn, who was actually elected, I think, for the first time that year. So that would be quite extraordinary. Of course, waves, they come and they go. Two years after 92, there was the 94 Republican wave. Republicans won seven seats. So we could be on the cusp of another you know, wave this year that it would be interesting, and, and we would see whether it would be very long-lasting. The, the Republicans, there's a lot of news now that, that the Republicans are worried and that the, it might be a blue wave. Jay Inslee got on Twitter yesterday and kind of taunted the Republicans, and he said, hey, Donald Trump, uh, Republicans are in trouble here. Would you please come out here and campaign? For them, they really need you. So, of course, he's he's thinking that you know that, that the party's all in on tying all of them to Donald Trump, and he thinks it would be helpful. I talked with the chair of the state Republican Party, Caleb Heimlich, who's been a guest here, who said that you know a that, Repub- that the Democrats are kind of maybe getting a little overconfident, and that you've seen a lot of enthusiasm in the early vote, but that that might recede some even in the later vote in the primary, and that the Republicans have in some past years 
done fine in general elections, even when they maybe looked a little weak in the primary. Well, and also we'll have to watch the national news and see what's going on between now and election day. Right. And on election night in November, it could be interesting. It could come down to Washington state for control of the house. Okay. Let's move on to the state legislature. What happened? Well, again, you know, the story is Republic is, is, is possibly a blue wave. And it's really interesting. You can go to the secretary of state's website and just start clicking on, the, on all these legislative districts. And I was mostly focused on the congressional races, but, but then, you know, after election day, I was looking at some of these races that our colleague jo- Joseph O'Sullivan has, has written about for uh, the paper, and you can find the articles on seattletimes.com. And the Republicans are really in trouble. I mean, the Democrats already have majorities in the state house and the state Senate, but they're not big majorities. Now the Democrats, they're salivating. They think that they could you know, sweep the Republicans out, have a really big majority in the state house and a bigger majority in the state Senate. And they're competitive even in places. And this surprised me. I'll just pick one in the sixth legislative district outside of Spokane. There, uh, there's an open seat because state Senator Michael Baumgartner decided to leave the legislature and go run for, I think the treasurer out there. And the uh, state representative, Jeff Holy is running to, to, uh, you know, to try to move up to the state Senate. And he's Republican. And a Democrat, Jessa Lewis, who I think grew up over there maybe, but just kind of moved back from the Seattle area, it was actually beating him the last time I looked at the, the primary So this is a, re- a Republican sitting legislator who's been elected before in a Republican area losing. Yeah, in and, and in, in, a, in a legislative district that has been pretty Republican for a while. There have been Democrats elected there before. It's, again, just sort of, mostly a little bit outside of Spokane. And so they're competitive in places like that. They're comp- and, and, and Jessa Lewis, by the way, you know, she's a, a pretty progressive type of candidate. You know, she went to the, I think the National Democratic Convention as a, as a Bernie Sanders delegate. I remember in the, the mayor's race a couple of years ago, it seems like 20 years ago now, but she was uh, volunteering for Bob Hasegawa, trying to get him elected just, in the primary. That was just last year. <laughs> no, time flies. <laughs> So, and, you know, even up in uh, Whatcom County, where State Senator Doug Erickson, um, way up north, is running for re-election, you know, he has a couple opponents, and they look pretty strong, too. So it's not just Seattle. It's not just the inner Seattle suburbs. It's some of these areas where Republicans, you know, haven't traditionally had to, to, to fight too hard that, that right now, and again, we could see the vote totals change a little bit. It looks like the Democrats are on offense. Mm-hmm. And then we obviously have to see what happens in the general election. And if the Democrats did extend their lead down in Olympia, then it would be all about what they would actually do do with that. And that'll be part of the campaign question, too. You know, I mean, that's what we're going to see. And, and we've seen it before. If, if the, the, the Republicans have sent the message for a long time and we've talked to them on this podcast before, you know, saying if the Democrats finally get control then they're going to go for the income tax or they're going to go for these policies that are. Uh, based on sort of Seattle liberal politics. You know, I, I think that a lot of the Democrats running in these districts that are not Seattle would dispute that, and they all have their own views. Each one of these races, I think especially in the legislature, has local local issues and local concerns that should come to the fore. But what, what's the other thing I'd say is really interesting about the legislative races is most of these state legislators for the Republicans haven't been really super vocal pro-Trump people because that's not what plays in Washington state with the exception of somebody like Doug Erickson who helped run Donald Trump's campaign in Washington state. 
So they're not out there necessarily leading with let's all unite behind Donald Trump. But nevertheless, you know, the the anti-Trump wave looks like it might pick them up and potentially sweep them out. That's all for episode 88 of The Overcast. Thanks to KNKX for having us in the studio again to record. Thanks for listening. And if you support the locally owned independent journalism that makes this podcast possible, visit seattletimes.com backslash support and consider a subscription. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. You can hit us up with feedback or on Twitter at dbeekman at jim underscore bruner. And until next week, have a cloudy day. Mm -hmm.